You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon. This is Encyclopedia on your Sunday afternoon, the uh, third third of June, into winter now, and feeling it outside. Very frosty morning, um, but I know that that's good for certain funky hunters and those of you that are out searching for mushrooms of any kind. Uh, please do make sure you know what you're looking for. I've already heard the uh, the usual alert um, that we hear every year from a uh, health department, uh, health department, or one of the uh, mushroom societies, uh, fungi societies around Australia, warning everybody basically not to do it, which I find is a bit of an unfortunate message because it kind of doesn't help anybody that's actually thinking I want to go out and even those that are looking to go and find culinary mushrooms um, one of the issues there so it's just <laughs> going on a bit it is winter it is the time for these things and a lot of people are interested in it um, one of the, one of the big issues was that a lot of people that came from parts of Europe where they had a, a cultural tradition of going out and hunting mushrooms aren't aware of some of the uh, varieties here that might look very similar to familiar breeds from overseas but be uh, quite nasty on your liver and kidneys and um, can sometimes lead to death. Uh, On this program we do talk about a wide variety of issues around uh, drugs um, including sometimes deviations onto other subjects that might be of interest to people like the little mushroom thing there but uh, I know that there's uh, also advice uh, that's very similar to that um, that you should be heeding if you're going out searching for any other kinds of mushrooms and going and looking uh, to teach yourself and make sure that you're not going to harm yourself and that's the basic message of everything that we're getting at on this program uh and ash is sitting uh, opposite me how you doing today ash yeah i'm good thanks nick pretty excited i head overseas on thursday yeah tell us a little bit about your overseas sojourn so i'm going to amsterdam gonna visit the legal uh cafes there and um fantastic yeah sort of check it out i'm, I'm hoping i can um, meet with some people from dims while i'm there which is the drug information and monitoring service it's um i think it's the world's longest running drug checking service and certain certainly one of the um you know one of the most professional and established kind of services and it's an integrated service where they have a nationwide early warning system if something funky turns up um they may even put notices on the street uh things like this um so i'm there for a weekend and then taking a bus to warsaw for the global nicotine forum which is the biggest international meeting of people to talk about uh, alternatives to smoking, so vaping, snus. Do you know the kind of? Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get a better idea. Uh, you'll get a better idea when you're over there, and you'll share, a, yeah, share that I on the show. Yeah, I should record some content and, and maybe send it over for for a show while but, I'm over there. But do you have an idea? Because um, some people might be thinking in the in the immediate ah tobacco company conference. Is it an industry led conference or by industry I, I, I think, mean tobacco uh, industry? So here. I mean, I haven't been there yet. I'll have, no. a, I'll have a better understanding <laughs> after I've been. But my understanding. is is there's kind of four main stakeholders. So there's the consumer advocacy groups, um, one of which I'll be doing some work with, the New Nicotine Alliance Australia, um, and there's similar organisations like that uh, around the world. Which don't come from uh, industry background at all. No, well, the New Nicotine Alliance Australia was established on the model from the New Nicotine Alliance in the UK, so kind of like a similar affiliated organisation, and they very specifically um, didn't take any funding from, you know, quote-unquote, big tobacco. Um, So they're just purely consumer uh, advocates. So people that have used vaping products to to give up smoking and, you know, 
want to be represented by somebody in the in the political discussion. So they're one of the key stakeholders. Big Tobacco is there because they they are creating some products that are um, the the main one is uh, through Philip Morris International have created a product they call Heat Not Burn. So it's mm-hmm. um, kind of like a compressed cigarette that you vape like maybe you would with a, a herb vaporizer like that people mm-hmm. use for cannabis. Um, and then there's new products uh, coming online that are have got crystal nicotine in them and little pods that you can vape from. They kind of look like a little USB stick. The The most popular one that people might have heard of is called Juul. Um, and so there's industry, um, and that's not just big tobacco, but some of these larger vaping companies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so it's a conference where they might there, there might be people displaying the new products uh, on the market. And one of the other key stakeholders is um, researchers. Um, so some of the people producing some of the best clinical research on, on um, exactly what comes out the end of one of these e-cigarettes. Um, there's a lot of confusion in the general public about this uh, kind of issue um, where, you know, sometimes a chemical might be identified in, in the vapor that comes out from an e-cigarette, but it's not always contextualized very well. And, you know, that's kind of common with a lot of science reporting across the board. But um, some of the people that are going to be there are the people that delve a little bit deeper into that research and go, uh, they might replicate some of the studies from the, you know, quote unquote, anti-vaping side of things and and like reproduce them at what they would consider more um, normal conditions. So how people would actually use the products, because sometimes the the testing has been done in ways where, you know, they might crank up the temperature or kind of use the product in a way that's not actually like how it would be used uh, in public. So, you know, researchers, advocates, um, and industry, uh, some of the key stakeholders are going to be at that one. And uh, this all comes after, so you're heading to Warsaw, you'll be there in about a week. Before you go on to the next one, though, I just wanted to, this, this news story is very appropriate. May 31st was World No Tobacco day yep. uh which is a uh a, a, i think it's supported by uh, one of the united nations group maybe the world health organization uh and the um you know it's it's to, to promote um a reduction uh from what it looks like uh, often a reduction to uh, as close to zero as possible of people smoking tobacco uh but this also uh comes as the australian medical association defended uh the policy against changing uh, the 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 stance on uh, e-cigarettes across Australia. Uh, a lot of these uh, organisations, these anti-tobacco organisations, have also been very uh, anti-e-cigarettes and anti, uh, especially changing the category of nicotine uh, for e-cigarettes, which is basically uh, prohibited unless you go to a doctor and get a prescription for your nicotine. Which again, don't have to go and do that for a pack of cigarettes. And uh, this is the problem they think. And uh, what they found is that uh, Australia's decline in annual smoking rates is almost stalled at 0.2% between 2013 and 2016. So we're at 0.2%. New Zealand at 3%. Canada, 4%. England, 5%. The USA and Norway on 7%. And Iceland on 12%. And uh, in all of those uh, nations... There is a different stance to e-cigarettes. Uh, much more, uh, it's much more available uh, in places like uh, Iceland and Norway. They can also access uh, SNUS, which if you've got any Scandinavian friends, you <laughs> might have seen these uh, little uh, little boxes of uh, tobacco SNUS that you... Uh, you put you it on your gum. It's like a moist tobacco that you just kind of sit in your gum and, yeah. and your mouth absorbs the nicotine. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, you can think what you uh, want of it. Uh, some people might think it's gross, but... Uh, 
uh, maybe you also think that of smoking and uh, a 12% reduction in smoking rates from Iceland eh, compared to 0.2% in Australia, uh, we must be doing something wrong. And perhaps it's our particularly conservative, almost prohibitionist, in fact, kind of prohibitionist stance towards uh, e-cigarettes. So, yeah, important time to be going over there and doing there's, the work you're doing. In and there's Warsaw. a lot of stuff happening. Like in New Zealand, they've just sort of... Uh, more formalised, the legalisation of some of these products. Canada's heading that way, but the WHO at an international level, um, there's a, a, a lot of concern in the um, kind of vaping community at the moment. They're looking at um, kind of doing similar to what Australia did and uh, packaging these products and technologies under um, the same banner as tobacco. So they then get regulated as tobacco products, which have massive controls on them and... Um, it would um, it would make uh, you know from the point of view of vaping advocates a, a, a much safer alternative product um, more difficult to access and then therefore impede the uptake of what could be a, a life saving device for people that would otherwise continue to smoke. It does seem to be that we we have people that are sort of stuck in this prohibitionist stance which has a a very specific perspective of what other people should be doing to approach what those people are saying is a problem yeah i think from my sort of um experience of interacting with politicians and people on the issue um there's three main things that that uh happen number one they just don't know much about it they don't know the products they don't know how they work they don't really understand what it's all about it's all this newfangled weird stuff um another one is that it's a um big tobacco conspiracy so it's all mm -hmm. a way for um big tobacco to either continue people can continue people's addiction to um one of these kinds of substances or that it's a way to kind of sneakily get people to smoke through vaping which there's not much evidence for that happening and the other one is just confusion about the science and the harms and risks so like a conservatism where um where you have people on either side kind of quoting science um and, you know, there's different studies that uh, can be looked at in different ways and without really spending a lot of time with, with some level of scientific understanding, it's, it's hard to know what to make of it. And if you've got places like the Cancer Council saying it's all bad, well, they're the kind of authority that a lot of people would go to to trust on these issues. Now, after Warsaw, you're continuing after Warsaw, your travel? Yeah, I was going to come home after Warsaw, um, but I'd really wanted to go to Prague. It's just one of those cities in Europe that I'd like to see. And um, when I found out that the day that I was going to be leaving Warsaw, the, the next day, the Beyond Psychedelics conference started in Prague. I was like, well, I better just tie that into the trip. So Very sensible. Um, yeah, so I'll be heading to Prague, staying with a friend who's... Uh, in the Czech Psychedelic Society and um, enjoying a, a week of conference there. Uh, which sounds pretty incredible. Beyond Psychedelics is one of the um, biggest... Uh, look, there's a there's a whole handful of them. It's it's among the handful of uh, big psychedelic conferences and it is one of the bigger ones in, in Europe. So, um, yeah, I'm sure that will be a, yeah. an interesting time. Have you had a look at the lineup or anything I, like I that I haven't yet? yet, but I do know that um, Melissa Warner um, from the Australian Psychedelic Society, one of our resident neuroscientists for, um, for In Psychedelia, will be giving a presentation there on psychedelics and creativity. Um, I know Jack Alcoa is going to be there as well. I'm not sure if he's presenting at this one. 
Um, but no, I, I haven't actually had a look at the lineup yet. I do know that before the conference, there's an extra optional workshop day and it's a whole workshop on integration strategies. So um, for people that might be unfamiliar with what that means, sometimes psychedelic experiences can present uh, very challenging um, kind of experiences like personal things might come up where uh, suddenly you're kind of challenged to uh, consider certain aspects of your life or things that maybe were in your blind spot and um, or it might just be an abstract experience that you know is is uh, concerning challenging interesting in different ways and then you know when you kind of go back to your day-to-day -day world after this very abstract and possibly insightful experience it can be challenging to know how to integrate that so there's a whole day of that that i'm probably going to do excellent uh, let's continue on into news. We'll just keep keep it flowing. Uh, there was an excellent piece this week from a, uh, a guy called Mike Power who has written a bit about the rise of novel psychoactive substances, the, the way that the market sort of works and responds in a very um, gonzo sort of way. He goes out and he does it. He had an article a few years ago uh, when, when people were just sort of noticing uh, the, the sort of speed of the novel psychoactive market and this ability for people to sort of imagine a new Chemical, send off that formula to a factory in China or India um, with, a, with the big places that were doing it and get that brand new chemical manufactured and onto market. This uh, He did an article and he, he got a new chemical um, manufactured and he had it, I think, within a couple of weeks. So now he's gone undercover in an um, in investigation in a Chinese MDMA factory and uh, it's in Mixmag. The title's perhaps a little bit misleading because uh, the factory does not produce MDMA in China, but this uh, this factory is one of the uh, producers of a precursor that has become uh, widely used in uh, MDMA manufacture around the world uh, at the moment. Uh, after uh, about 10 years ago, a precursor that had been being used uh, was there was a large amount of it burned, uh, like hundreds of kilos of this um, stuff that was uh, from the sassafras tree, I believe, in sort of Southeast Saffrol, Asia, saffron, yeah, yeah. and um, it was burned by the authorities. The idea being, oh, we'll, we'll burn it, and somehow that will reduce the demand for MDMA. Um, arguably, what that led to is a rise in the demand for methamphetamine. So, you know, good one, authorities, you really understand the drug problem well there. This is the problem with these kind of supply reduction operations they don't have the intended effect that uh, is often intended by these authorities but then as time goes on a uh, a new um, uh, a new precursor was found and that's what's being manufactured in places like China at the moment because it's not controlled there uh, because it's uh, well quite lucrative to manufacture and um, you know a, a global market. Uh, so he uh, talks a little bit about it. I won't uh, go into the whole article because it's quite a quite a long piece. Um, but the uh, article is in Mixmag called "We Went Undercover in a Chinese MDMA uh, Factory," and he just talks about um, the uh, the experience a little bit uh, about approaching this quite professional um, sort of outfit this uh, professional um, industrial business in an industrial area in one of the Chinese cities that has a lot of um, chemical manufacturers and, and talk to them about this and they did they they knew that their product was being used for certain purposes and they had certain uh, security protocol <laughs> developed around that as well so um, I just thought it was quite interesting though Mike did say at the end of the piece that he was a bit worried about um, the kind of effect that just like putting this kind of um, quite candid information would have out there especially uh, 
uh, I mean, you can expect that authorities are already onto this kind of thing and looking for ways to close this loophole, but all loophole is it's not, not... Yeah. Anyway, interesting. So, case. big news this week um, across the Tasman. Um, there's been... the In Australia, we've sometimes had this story kick around um, um, that... Um, uh, I'm just waving at Nick to see if he wants to play some audio. Oh on this. yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, um, so in New Zealand, they've had this kind of meth house thing happening uh, yeah. for um, quite a few years, where um, uh, these guidelines got created around housing, uh, where there were um, like trace elements. If trace elements of methamphetamine were detected in a house, it was considered uninhabitable. So this has like implications for the rental market, for the the, the selling market of houses, and for social housing. Um, so and essentially, and what is, happens? This is not just like houses that have been completely destroyed by being a, a, an unkept laboratory. No. Right? So yeah. so in Australia, when we have this conversation, and in most of the rest of the world, what they're referring to when they talk about houses contaminated with um, methamphetamine is um, clandestine labs where people might be producing or you know cooking meth um, or ice, and um, that that has a lot of chemicals going on. You know, things are bubbling away, and, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and and there may be some health risk associated with that um but what um what happened in new zealand was slightly different it was like trace elements where people might have been smoking methamphetamine in a house and so a little you know a little bit of that gets stuck to the wall and this whole industry emerged of like meth testing where these like labs would come in and you know find like one part per billion on a tile or something and consider the house uninhabitable and then somebody would have to come in and clean it. Um, Essentially what's happened is that a new report has been delivered now that basically outlines that as utter rubbish and crap. There's no Um, science behind it. Yeah, it's been called by some of the authorities and in the media as one of the biggest scams in, in you know, the modern New Zealand history. This oh, is yeah, like I'm guessing thousands of houses have had to be um, either contend. sold cheap, like people have lost property value, that they've not been able to rent their houses. Um, so it's ended up being like this, this whole big thing that's blown up in New Zealand. I wasn't aware that they had this system, but it's, um, you know, sort of thinking about it at a broader level, it's one of those things that these kind of scammy things can pop up from time to time. Um, and it's, well, it's classic rent sinking, isn't it? Because I'm guessing that yep. a lot of that money would have been coming uh, to, to pay for them to do that and go and clean those houses would have been coming from government departments and whatnot. So rent seeking is when you've got a, a private business that says, hey, our private business should be not, not only paid for by the government, we should also have a monopoly on it. And it's so important that you need to do it. This, this sort of... Yeah, so that's one of the things that's happened. And so, friend of the show, uh, Wendy Ellison, who's the director of the drug safety testing group Know Your Stuff, um, tweeted from their page, quote, anyone who's outraged about the methamphetamine contamination scam should probably look also look at the lack of evidence supporting workplace drug testing. And um, I've spoken with Wendy about this before. I'm not sure if we've chatted on the show, but um, she's done a lot of delving into the, the actual research for... Um, the the justification for and the efficacy of workplace drug testing and um 
Uh, yeah, I think that, um, well, her quote here is, the bottom line is, does it improve workplace safety? And if not, why are we continuing to allow it? Now, having chatted to her before, I know that she's looked right into the research and there's only a handful of incidents involving illicit drug use that can be implicated in any kind of workplace incident in all of New Zealand. <laughs> and almost all of the um, issues that are there are alcohol-related. Um, so the idea of, like, drug testing, having people do saliva swabs in the workplace is... Um, not very well supported by evidence and that's essentially the claim that she's making and i think that's something that here in australia we need to sort of keep an eye out for uh in over in the uk uh you've probably seen news of this if you've been on social media at all and follow these kinds of issues over the past week but uh there were a couple of deaths at a festival called mutiny festival um two young people have passed away uh the Again, the reporting is of a bad batch of drugs. We don't know the full extent of the story yet. Um, we've been watching um, uh, the feed from the Facebook feed from The Loop. Uh, the Loop are the ones who did drug testing uh, in the UK and have been uh, promoting uh, the the further use and rollout of this program. Uh, and um, they they were not at that festival. I don't think it was. Uh, it's just because the program isn't isn't big enough yet. I think that might be the issue. Um, but go go and have a look at that. But it it's it's becoming festival. It's just coming into festival season over in the UK, uh, across Europe, and over in the US as well. It's getting into summer for them. Uh, so we might we're likely to see more of these sorts of stories. Unfortunately, uh, this year because the same issues that are happening here are pretty much the same issues happening there. There are slight differences, like, for example, uh, fentanyl and fentanyl-type products across northern uh, Northern America, Canada and, and the US. Um, and uh, in Europe, there's just a, a wider variety of everything at cheaper prices. Uh, but but it's the same sort of issues. It's this thing that's spurned on, spurned on by this lack of information that we have uh, because of a default position of prohibition on everything other than a few select things, which have massive global markets uh and one more uh yeah so um there's some research being done by let me just scroll back up um professor yeah professor uh associate professor james martin from swinburne university on the um kind of rates of uh use of the dark net for illicit drug trades um on the internet so this is like the dark corner of the internet where you need all the fancy pants encryption software to access it and where um, drug deals are done anonymously through cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. And it turns out that Australia has the second highest concentration of darknet drug dealers per capita um, after the Netherlands. Um, so it kind of you know, gives a bit more information into what's actually happening in the illicit drug market in Australia, how people are interacting with it. Um, yeah, like I don't know what to, to to make of that. Some people might be concerned. Some people might um, think it's a good thing. I think in terms of safety, there is some argument that that makes our drug market safer. Um, there's evidence that shows that um, drug dealing on the darknet markets has a higher likelihood of producing uh, substances that are correctly identified. So. Um, there's less adulteration because there's a there's a pathway for feedback. Like vendors get rated, and um, you know there's like people will kind of post if something doesn't show up as yeah. it is. Now that doesn't Got guarantee that, that somebody purchasing that might then use it to uh, 
sell it as another product or use it in some way to adulterate it further down the line. So it's not saying that it cleans out all the problems of um, impurities and adulterations, but... Um, Changes yeah. the way the market operates. And, yeah, it certainly does. And that's something that we're going to be talking about a sort of side issue to this, but this side issue is exactly what, what sort of fosters how the market works because it is the market when you sort of think about it. Uh, we're just going to be chatting... <laughs> Just did some backwards words. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Emily Blatchford uh, shortly. She's at Edith Cowan University studying uh, her honours in psychology, and she's got a study that she wants a, some participants from on drugs, personality, and social attitudes, um, which I think is pretty much what makes up a uh, uh, an economy. Uh, that's up next. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR. 3CR needs you. Fight for your mic and donate to 3CR's annual Radiothon. 3CR Radiothon 2018. Fight for your mic. Radiothon starts June 4th. Get a healthy dose of anti-nuclear, peace and sustainability issues on The Radioactive Show. 10am Saturdays on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. And also podcast and web streamed on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. The Radioactive Show, where every bit of exposure makes you stronger. In Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. And on the line now, uh, we have Emily Blatchford studying her uh, her uh, psychology honours at Edith Cowan University. Uh, and she is currently conducting a, a, a piece of research into drugs, personality and social attitudes. Uh, Emily, welcome to In Psychedelia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Now, uh, this is a piece of research um, that you want people to go and uh, and do. Before we get uh, into some questions, is there somewhere quickly that yeah. people who might be in front of a computer can go and find it? Uh, well, um, it will be posted on a number of forums, including Blue Light and the Corroboree. But at the moment, if you want to take a look at the link now, if you go to the Australian Harm Reduction Discussion Facebook group, it's mm-hmm. been posted there uh, quite recently. Alternatively, you can just add me on Facebook or send me an email at uh, eblatchf at au.edu.edu.au and I can send you a direct link. Um, and I also think that Nick's going to post a link on the Encyclopedia website. Absolutely. You yep. You'll yep. find it in a few different places, including the Encyclopedia uh, Facebook uh, yes. Facebook page. Uh, now, one thing that first comes to my mind about your research, uh, mm-hmm. so you're looking into drugs, uh, personality and social attitudes, but this word drugs is yep. particularly marred in the... Um, in a particular uh, definition that's sort of defined by prohibition as it stands now. Yep. Uh, so what role has do you think the prohibition has played in defining this term drugs? And is this sort of playing into well, your research? I, oh, yeah, so, well, I think prohibition is, ma- is the main part of the drug problem that people talk about. So 
when people say drugs, they are often implying lots of negative things about drugs and the people that use them. And I think drug prohibition uh, has in turn prevented research concerning a lot of substances that are likely to actually have therapeutic benefits. And my research is trying to bring some of these benefits to light. So I think to answer your question uh, in a more succinct way, I think prohibition has uh, given a negative definition of drugs and that it's a drug problem. And and the other thing is that uh, then it has this effect of homogenising uh, a huge population with very uh, uh, vast tastes in not only substance, but uh, the substances yeah. in the drug that they're actually taking, um, but all sorts of yeah. other things from the way that they go about life, their culture, their cultural background, their uh, mm-hmm. taste in music, everything. Uh, do you think that there's a also a bit of a... Uh, an effect of this this uh, this term homogenizing such a large um, population and kind of especially when it's spoken about in the mainstream media, um, people yep. speak of drug users, but they don't realize they're speaking of a vast variety of different different groups. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And in my understanding, most people who use drugs don't necessarily have a problem with them. I think the primary problem of drugs is their illegal status. So. Defining drugs broadly as bad has negative consequences for many people for whom drugs aren't necessarily a bad thing. So think of people who habitually consume sugar or coffee, for example. Why aren't these things drugs or bad? Consumption of these substances can have negative consequences too, but also they can be beneficial as well. And I think sometimes when you when you bring that when we bring that kind of stuff up because it's a point that we try to make a lot um, sugar, caffeine, these sorts of things could yeah. be considered drugs, but a lot of people kind of scoff at that because they know what drugs are. But in cultures yeah. past and even other cultures around the world now, they have very different relationships yep. with the psychoactive plants and and products that they make yep. from these psychoactive plants. Um uh, and and this has been changing across time as well. It's only a very narrow window that we've had this very specific view of drugs. Um, do yeah. you know Do you know much about uh, some some other examples of other cultures and their relationship uh, with drugs? Yeah, or actually, um, it's kind of relevant now because I'm in Mexico and I've been enjoying their food and culture. And something interesting that I've um, Uh, managed to learn about is about the indigenous use of peyote here. So I've been told about the Waradika people's annual peyote pilgrimage where they go through a series of rituals and community members of the Waradika people travel with a shaman to a particular place where peyote grows and they consume it. Um, But unfortunately, as much of the land in this area has been sold to private owners, it's becoming increasingly difficult for these traditional Waradika people to maintain this ancient tradition. But so for Waradika people calling peyote a drug ignores the cultural and spiritual significance of this plant. So um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm wondering about whether, uh, you know, something that might come out of your research or, or something that you're kind of looking at, there's this idea that um, I've, I've just come from a, a meeting with some students for sensible drug policy people. And one of the things that, yep. that came up was... Um, this idea that we often kind of frame the discussion around drugs around the negative, like the harms, the, yeah. the addiction issues, things like that. And it's important yeah. to talk about those things. But um, the conversation rarely touches on beneficial relationships um, with substances. Yeah, so, so when drug yeah. use can be positive for a person, either through uh, like a, you know, 
an informal therapeutic use of it or um, even just Mm -hmm. in in recreation that creates like, you know, some some insight or creativity. Is that something that you're kind of looking at and hoping might come out of your research is some some more information about that? I am um, hoping to fill this kind of knowledge gap about the benefits in my research. And whilst I can't be too specific about what I actually am looking at, um, I think that there are a certain type of uh, group of drugs which may contribute to uh, positive personality changes and, uh, um, yeah, social attitudes. Uh, but, yeah, I can't go into too much now because I'm worried yep. that I'll bias the respondents. <laughs> you've yep. um, you got to be careful. You're doing yes. your research. Now, what, what drove <laughs> you to this kind of research? I mean, you've just told us this story. You're in Mexico at the moment. Thank you. It must be the middle of the night yep. there, by the way. Yes, it's uh, almost midnight, but I'm okay. very happy to have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for uh, staying up for us on a Saturday night in Mexico. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've, <laughs> no you've told problem. us about this um, uh, this knowledge that you've found in Mexico of the uh, uh, native some native peoples using uh, peyote. But mm-hmm. what, what's um, yeah. what's driven your interest in this in this area? Is is that the sort of thing, or are there other things that have driven your interest? Um, yeah, there's other things as well. I think the main thing is that I care about people who experience discrimination and prejudice, and people who use drugs are one such group of people. I want to help these people and I think that's one of the main reasons I'm doing this research. So hopefully I can find something that kind of counteracts all this discrimination and may uh, provide hopefully some different attitudes that people might have towards these kinds of people and, yeah, hopefully some more positive attitudes. And... um... Anybody out there in the world, uh, we, we have a, a pretty vibrant scene of uh, drug academics yeah. today, um, people that are travelling around the world and have uh, all sorts of interesting things to say. It's quite an interesting space at the moment. Mm-hmm. Do you have a particular favourite? Yeah. Well, I think at the moment I'm really interested in what Rick Doblin's doing with the MDMA and PTSD trials in the USA. I think he's probably um, a, a, one of my idols at the moment. I love what he's doing and it's exciting that he's in the third stage trial now um he's found lots of benefits of mdma and i'm also uh roland griffiths he's um looking at some studies with psilocybin and depression and anxiety with end of life um yeah anxiety if in terminally ill patients so i think at the moment those two are pretty inspirational to me right now and it's a good good note to we're just about out of time, but good note to end on, I think, because uh, it's important for, yeah. for uh, you're you're a student, you're doing, you're studying, and you do find people mm-hmm. in this area who are inspiring and doing something for bettering the world, and they're looking at drugs and they're yep. sometimes using drugs for that. They're not the the yeah. you know yeah. you are breaking that narrative of uh, of uh, mm-hmm. drugs always being a, a negative type thing. And um, how have yeah. you found the the academic space for kind of having these discussions? Well, it was it was difficult finding a university and supervisors to take on this kind of project. I'm really lucky that um, uh, Stephen Bright and Ross Hollett have let me do this and noticed that this is something that should be explored, even if we don't know whether there are benefits in what I'm looking at. It's good to explore it because there has been such a deficit in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I was turned down by a number of supervisors uh, to study this, but... It is good that there are open-minded people out there that have recognised this deficit due to the prohibition and that it's actually something that should be explored. 
And uh, just uh, finally, we will be talking with uh, Dr. Stephen Bright next, actually, uh, from uh, Psychedelic yeah. Research and Science and Medicine Prism. But just finally, um, we'll, we'll put up a link or, to your study uh, on the Psychedelia mm-hmm. Facebook page. As you mentioned, it's also on the Australian Harm Reduction Discussion page and a few other yep. pages, so should be able to find it. The uh, research yeah. is... Uh, drugs personality and social attitude study um how, yeah. can, just a few little things like how long do, does it take for somebody to fill it out do you have any incentives well, just, that kind of thing I, um yeah so i thought it would be 25 minutes but i've actually had some responses come in and for the most part it's only taking people between 10 and 20 minutes uh in terms of incentives there's not a direct incentive to participate um however i think uh, having your perspective heard for those people out there is uh, a good incentive. And also uh, one part of the survey, there is a, a prize draw for a $150 gift card. So that's one thing. Um, what was the um, third thing that you asked? Uh, uh, oh, when does, uh, when does it all wrap up? You're taking participants now, but when does it all uh, finish uh, yeah. up? Well, the thesis that I'm doing has to be submitted by the end of October. So I think as soon as possible, um, I'd like the data to come in so that I can start analysing it and writing up the results. So probably in the next month or so would be ideal to get these responses. But yeah, really as soon as possible would be awesome. Thank you very much, Emily, for joining us on In Psychedelia today and talking to us a little bit about your research. No problem. Thanks so much for having me, and I hope to come back and give you some results. Yep, looking forward to that. Enjoy the rest of your time in Mexico. (laughs) Thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your day in Melbourne. (laughs) We will. Thanks, Emily. See you later. (laughs) Thanks so much. Bye. Emily Blatchford is uh, doing her honours in psychology at Edith Cowan University and studying drugs, personality, and social attitudes. That's the study that she's doing. Uh, I've just posted a link on the Encyclopedia uh, Facebook page so that you can go there and uh, and fill that out. And it's it's um, I think there's hidden tales there. I think this is the thing that uh, Emily's touching on. She's going to be able to find stories that we don't hear out uh, out there, that we don't have sort of um, a lot of written down things because a lot of people are afraid to tell these stories because of the stigma attached to that word drugs, that big homogenizing word that makes us all the, you know, the worst possible person in some people's eyes. Um, in fact, we, we, I think we spoke to some of those people just a week ago, Ash. <laughs> Actually, was that this week? Uh, that was Tuesday. Oh, my. Oh, I thought, oh, wow. geez. Yeah, we haven't week. even talked about that yet. Uh, look, we'll, we'll get to that shortly. This is In Psychedelia on, uh, on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, uh, 3CR Digital, and uh, 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2018, Fight for Your Mic. The 3CR annual Radiothon fundraiser is almost here. From June the 4th to the 17th, we're asking you to help us stay on air by making a generous donation. Any amount you can afford makes a big difference, and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. To donate, call 039419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au 3CR Radiothon 2018 Fight for your mic Hi, this is Hugo the Poet and you're listening to 3CR and by doing that you're supporting community radio an incredibly important institution in our times 
3CR's Radiothon is also coming uh, in about two weeks' time. Ash, you are going to be away for the Radiothon, unfortunately, because uh, but you'll be doing important things. You'll be in Warsaw at the Nicotine Conference and uh, in uh, Prague at the Beyond Psychedelics uh, Conference. But for Radiothon, our Radiothon episode, I believe, is on, I think it's, the seven, it's Sunday the 17th of June. Is the Sunday the seventh? Oh, I'd have to pull my. It's a couple out. of weeks, two weeks. <laughs> I, I, yeah, don't have a calendar in front of me. Um, but it is starting uh, over the next week for some of the shows, and then for the rest of the shows over the rest of the time. Uh, our goal is a quarter million dollars. Uh, we've done similar goals before, not not us personally, the whole station. And this this money is just going toward keeping the radio station on the air. Uh, it's very expensive to run a radio station, and that's why we need your support. Um, and we need your support because we don't accept money from other sources we don't have uh, advertisers we, we've got a few uh, sponsors here and there but nowhere near the level of uh, others because we are looking to keep it uh, as keep this station as independent as possible and um, keep keep telling you the stories that we're telling you um, that's what we want to talk about 3cr.org.au if you want to uh, find out more about the Radiothon uh, our theme is fight for your mic this year and uh, we will be having a Radiothon special uh, with a few people uh, on a bit of a panel uh, and we're going to be putting the opportunity out to you to ask some questions of that panel about uh, 20 minutes away from 3 o'clock and Dr. Stephen Bright from PRISM, Psychedelic Research in Science and Medicine, and also the founder of AOD Media Watch on the line. Steve, how are you doing? Very well, Nick. Thanks for having me. It's been a while because last time I spoke to you, I was in the studios in Melbourne and now I'm in Perth. That's a good point. Yes, you have crossed to the other side of the uh, of the country. How's everything going in Perth? Uh, really well. So I've been able to... Um, supervise Emily's project, which I'm very proud to listen to her talking about that project with you earlier, and another project on microdosing, um, and also being able to uh, talk to talk about psychedelic research and the International Psychedelic Science Renaissance uh, in Western Australia and other parts of the country to raise people's awareness with regard to what's going on internationally because many people still are unaware of this tremendous amount of research that's occurring with regard to psychedelic science. And they need and people guess- like you because you're you're somebody that uh, is part of sort of the AOD community across Australia. You work in uh, addiction research and, and, uh, and, and that sort of thing and you go along to these conferences where nobody else is talking about that. So you're that conduit <laughs> for, most, for yeah, a lot of people. So most recently, uh, I was in Tasmania a week ago and uh, was speaking at the Alcohol Tobacco and Other Drug Conference in Hobart, and uh, many people there hadn't heard about what was happening in the uh, wider community with regard to psychedelic science. And what was really great was at the end of the presentation, I had uh, somebody from the Tasmanian community stand up and basically give a testimonial with regard to how her own use of therapeutic uh, or her own therapeutic use of LSD and MDMA had helped resolve the symptoms of complex trauma and that she hadn't felt comfortable talking about this with her colleagues until I'd given my presentation and she felt that there was a safe space now to do that because I'd done a bit of myth-busting. And that's so important. I think um, it's it's something that I feel like has been particularly highlighted for myself, at least this week. I suspect Ash as well, um, seeing that there are 
a lot of different sides to the AOD sector. Now, arguably, something that we saw on Tuesday wasn't very AOD sector. It was something else, uh, but that was an event from the Drug Advisory Council of Australia, who um, uh, don't, we're not sure who they advise. Um, it's not much of a council, I'm not sure how the election process works or anything like that. Um, but we went along there, and there was actually um, one of the one of the speakers was was quite interesting, and she works in uh, sort of. Um, sort of sidelined to the AOD sector, but um, I, I've uh, been volunteering the AOD sector in a certain part of it for a long time and working there for a little while, and I've seen a wide variety of attitudes, and there does still seem to be a lot of stigma, even in that sector, the sector of people that are, are trained to understand this issue um, against certain uh, substances that um, are based on uh, myths that I thought were were dispelled a long time ago. Yeah, and it, it, it is unfortunate because there's good research demonstrating that clinicians that uh, that that have um, beliefs that may be unhelpful and uh, stigmatising actually have poorer treatment outcomes when it comes to working with people who are experiencing problems associated with their alcohol and other drug use or, um, you know, may have experienced the challenging time on a psychedelic and require some integration. Exactly. And there's just not the, um, the, the training, the ability there to deal with that kind of thing. But then that becomes, if somebody thinks, oh, well, this person has a has a problem with with this drug because of what they've told me because they don't understand what they're hearing, it can almost become like a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy if you hear then somebody in authority, uh, an authoritative health figure, tell that to you or not maybe not in those exact words but sort of act like, oh, well, maybe this acid that you're doing is a bit of a problem when maybe actually it was the thing that was breaking you out of the problem or something. Not, not to suggest to anyone listening that that's what you should go and do if you have an issue, but this is the story that some people have told. Yeah, and, and you know, that was actually my rationale and the motivation for me to get AOD Media Watch uh, up and running was I saw an article in, uh, I think it might have been the Sydney Morning Herald on dimethyltryptamine, and yeah. it was outrageous, the yeah. claims being made, and they were being made by a, a, a certain authority figure within health, and, uh, yeah, that, that's sort of what led me to, to establishing AOD Media Watch, and I guess the... The primary thing that we're focusing on at the moment is trying to reduce stigma because a lot of that stigma is coming from media. AODmediawatch.com.au is the website. That's AODmediawatch.com.au. And that's where Stephen Bright and a number of other uh, professionals and academics across the country uh, put up some sort of counter-analysis to what you see in the mainstream media and it's um it's a project that's i think it's only been going on for about a year now has it steve it's been about about 18 months or so we launched it at the vada conference but um we had had a really good run on um critical uh responses to uh media this year so we, we had quite a few articles published and there's a key theme that was running through all of them that were all concerning methamphetamine um, one of the sort of sub-themes was this effort by the media to try to um, claim that their town or a certain town is the meth capital of Australia. So in February, uh, Mark Butler, who's a psychotherapist in Byron Bay, was outraged when the, the, uh, the, the Daily Telegraph um, had a story exclusive, the holidays over as hard drugs hit celebrity enclave with the title Paradise, 
a bit of play on words there. And um, the Byron Bay epidemic, and it's got a front page. Basically, the front page of that paper is taken up with a fellow sitting on the grass, presumably smoking an ice pipe, but it's not really clear what he's up to there. And then in April, um, Jill Rundle, who's the CEO of the West Australian Association of Alcohol and Other Drug Networks, uh, wrote a piece with regard to uh, the West Australian claiming that Perth was the uh, ice capital of Australia. And so there seems to be this competition by the media to um, state which town is the ice capital of Australia based on some sort of flimsy evidence. In the latter case, it was based on the wastewater drug analysis. Now, we're just about out of time, Steve, but before we uh, we finish up today, uh, AOD Media Watch at the WA AOD conference won an award. You won the best poster prize at that conference on how to critically analyse media. Um, before we finish up, some tips for our listeners on how they might be able to start to un- start to do this critical process in their own heads when they're engaging with these kinds of articles. Um, maybe some of the tips that you give to, to journalists. What can people do to put that critical eye inside their own head? Well, I'm really glad you asked that, actually, because while we've had a good run on articles, we haven't had a submission for about four or five weeks. So it'd be fantastic if your listeners spot a piece that just doesn't feel right when they read it. Um, concerning drugs to submit it to AOD Media Watch via the website. We've got a simple form that you can fill out and complete that highlights the key issues. And so often it's around the sensationalism that the media is using, it's the way they're framing um, the substance use, they're talking about addicts, they're talking about drug users, not people who use drugs. And there's this uh, stigmatisation that occurs The way in which the drug is being constructed by the media is that of a pathogen which, you know, sends people mad. And so it's this really sensationalist reporting that we're trying to crack down on. So if any of your listeners see something that seems really over the top, um, we'd really like to hear about that. And the opportunities there to publish something on the site. And um, we've got a, a group of experts in the area that can assist uh, your listeners in writing writing a story for AOD Media Watch. The website again is aodmediawatch.com.au. You can also find them on Facebook and Twitter and please do uh, check out what they've got to offer because uh, it is a, a much needed counter narrative to some of the perpetuating myths that we often see in the mainstream media. Uh, Dr. Stephen Bright, thanks for joining us on Psychedelia today. Thanks for having me, Nick. And enjoy the rest of your uh, Perth afternoon, <laughs> which might, must have just started. <laughs> Thanks. See ya. Uh, that was Dr. Stephen Bright, uh, who is uh, also from PRISM, Psychedelic Research and Medicine, um, but heads up AOD Media Watch, aodmediawatch.com.au. Uh, and we're going to be speaking next with uh, Will Tregoning from Unharm. Uh, this is In Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. Right for long-term detained refugees. Sunday 17 June from 10 a.m. This event is organized to show solidarity and support of refugees detained long term by the Australian government. So come ride your bike or join us at the gathering spots from 10 a.m. at Quebec Town Hall, 11 o'clock at Princess Park, 12 o'clock at Melbourne Museum or 2 o'clock at Albert Park. You can also look up online at rideforrefugees2018.wordpress.com. Ride for Refugees is a 3CR supporter.
you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids and come in black, white, grey and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. And the website is 3cr.org.au, uh, where you can follow the links to the Encyclopedia program page, find us on social media, um, and um, get up to date with our very up, not up-to-date podcast. I need, need need some, I don't know, time assistance. Moving house soon, it makes it a bit harder. Uh, on the line now, though, we have uh, Will Tregoning, uh, the director of Unharm, an organisation looking to change the way that we see drugs in this country, basically. Is, is that fair to say, Will? And welcome to the program. That is a nice way of describing it. I like that Nick, and thanks for having me on. Now, uh, you've got a pr- pretty exciting uh, event this week on Tuesday night. This is f- in, in Sydney, um, but for anybody that uh, might be listening al- along uh, online or uh, from Sydney or has friends in Sydney, then um, I think this is something to go and check out. Can you tell us a bit about what's happening on Tuesday? Yes, for sure. It's, um, yeah, an exciting event. We've got a guy called Manuel Cardoso, who's the deputy director of the Portuguese agency that runs drug policy and drug programs in Portugal. has been um, in that sort of role since the 90s. So he was involved as um, Portugal decriminalised possession of drugs in 2001 and then has been both overseeing programs but also has a role in the EU, basically telling people about how they're going with the Portuguese experience um, and now he's in Australia he's here for a conference at the New South Wales um, peak body for the alcohol and other drugs treatment sector they brought him out uh, the conference is at the end of next week but the the conference organizers have been very generous about allowing Manuel to do other things while he's here and he's been incredibly generous with his time too so this event on Tuesday night starts at uh, 6 p.m. at St. Stephen's Church, which is on Macquarie Street, right in the centre of town, opposite Parliament House. It's the first joint event between Unharm and Uniting, which is the organisation that runs the Supervised Injecting Centre here in Sydney, and which also has an advocacy program focused on especially ending criminalisation of drug use and increasing uh, access to services that pr- promote safety among people who use drugs. So we're teaming up on this event and they've done an incredible job, um, especially around the logistics. We had a huge response. We started with a venue that fitted 120 people and we were going to do that plus the Facebook live feed. Um, I think in five days the tickets were fully subscribed. I think actually we had 220 um, people signed up in five days. So Uniting then scrambled to find another venue. Um it is a church, one of the uniting churches. It's an incredible venue uh, and will really, I think, um, you know, it shows how this issue has transitioned to bring in people and organisations who even a few years back might have seen it as a little too difficult or controversial. And so this is a really exciting event, um, a sort of a show of uh, a show of strength, I suppose, around the movement and also of course, doing that work of knitting two quite different groups together and Alongside Cardoso, he'll be he'll be talking about the experience of 
decriminalisation in Portugal. We'll also have the former WA Premier, Jeff Gallup, who decriminalised cannabis when he was Premier of WA. Awesome. Uh, he'll be talking about that experience um, as well during the event. And also Marianne Johnson, who runs the Injecting Centre here in Sydney, which is the only place in Australia where it's not an offence to carry or use a prohibited substance, and she'll be talking about what, what that makes possible. So, yeah, an exciting event, plenty of opportunity for questions from the crowd as well, and it'll be all broadcast on um, Facebook Live through the Unharmed Facebook page too. And we'll make sure to share that on in Psychedelia as well. Afternoon, Will. It's uh, Ash here. Um, Ash, hello. <laughs> g'day. Um, so up in New South Wales, uh, I think it was about 12 months ago, you had the Cross-Parliamentary Committee on Drug Law Reform, um, where politicians from a few different parties got together. Um, have you managed to drag any pollies along to, to kind of hear from Manuel? He is, in fact, going to Parliament House to have meetings. Um, I mean, this just shows how generous he's been about his time. Um, so certainly the invitation to the Tuesday night event has been extended to a whole lot of, of MPs. Um, however, like at least as exciting, Uniting have done a great job um, lining him up some meetings with, let's say, some very senior members of government, uh, of the current New South Wales government. And that's been great that, you know, they've been um, keen to see him, you know. It, it's really indicative of how much knowledge and interest there is. Uh, and, you know, while he's here too, he'll be meeting with uh, bureau- bureaucrats uh, whom I'll leave it to you to imagine. But, you know, it's uh, still for some people in government needs to be relatively discreet. But um, certainly he's got a, a, a really exciting schedule of meetings for his time here. Yeah, great. Uh, that's very exciting that you're involved with that as well, um, Will, through Unharm because of the fantastic work that Unharm is doing. Uh, before we finish up today as well, is there anything, uh, because I know that there's more Unharm happening in Victoria now as well, is there anything uh, on the radar at the moment that you can talk about? or? Uh there's uh, look if you um we're still pulling together our activist team here in melbourne we've got um some key members that we've started to form a bit of a strategy about how we're going to work together um if you do want to get involved um contact will through the through the unharm um website i guess is that the best place will or, or maybe the email yeah though i mean at the moment i never know who's one of the other uh, i mean you guys know this of course but never know who's one of the other organizers in melbourne has been publicizing the um organize a meetup through the Facebook page by setting up Facebook events. Like, that's been mm-hmm. the main... I think that's probably the best way for people to keep up yep. an eye on how to get involved in Melbourne. Keep, keep an point. eye on... Yeah, yeah keep an eye yeah. on those Facebook links. And we, as I said, we will share the um, the live link and uh, often share content from uh, Unharm as well. Yeah, um, I, I think there's, there's going to be a lot more happening over the course of this year. So if you are in Victoria and you want to get involved, now's a great time to, to meet catch up with this and touch base even if you are in new south wales and you're listening to this uh to this program via one of the other means that we broadcast to get in contact because uh, obviously um sort of based in sydney um but looking to expand out there's a there's a lot of stuff going on um will thanks for joining us on in psychedelia today that's a pleasure thanks for having me on and good luck with tuesday have fun Thank you. <laughs> uh, and, and as we say, there is always lots going on in this space. Uh, more going on as the years go on, or maybe we're just paying attention to it more or are involved with it no, more. there's I don't a know. lot going on. There does seem to be a lot <laughs> going on. Um, 
uh, 3cr.org.au is the place to go. I do have uh, a lot of podcasts to catch up on. Actually, like I'm not meant to, you know, share this kind of stuff with you, but I actually lost my um, my my USB. Not not I'm looking at Ash, but I mean you, the listener. Um, the my USB with half the programs on it, and then I thought I found it, but it's the exact same one. It's at 3cr. Anyway, technical problems happen. I'm trying to sort it all out, and we're in the middle of a, a house move at the moment, but hoping that that will make it all easier. Um, but this just shows you it's uh, volunteer run like this and we do have our radiothon coming up just to help with all the other stuff to keep ha- that going smoothly because that's what you need Queering Area is up next see you later this is in psychedelia comments complaints or contributions are welcome jump on the 3CR website 3cr.org.au and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. In Psychedelia, we'll be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear in Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.